Welcome to Between Axles, your not so serious car podcast. My name is Peter, and I'm joined by three of my great co hosts from Melbourne to Auckland. This is episode five owning and maintaining a classic car. Now we have Jono and Paul joining us from Melbourne. Hey guys. Hello. Yo, yo. Number five, big deal. Number five, we're, we're, we're progressing. We're, <laughs> we're improving, hopefully. And uh, we have Luan from Auckland. Hello. So a bit of background why we are going for classic cars, just very quickly, is it's a, it's a niche area. Obviously, this doesn't appeal to a wide audience. Every car enthusiast, including myself, has a classic car they deep down would really want one day. I think everyone has one, at least one. And we'd love to hear from you guys, because you both have, or you three of you guys have and had classic cars. Yeah. Let's hear about it. Let's start. Let Let's start with you guys in Melbourne, because we're just picking up where we left off in episode four. You talk mm-hmm. about your Datsun. Mm-hmm. So, can we do a quick recap on where we um on your on your Datsun? Um, like mechanically wise, we've uh we've <clears throat> drove it from Tasmania to Melbourne, put on a ship as well, and that worked okay, worked well enough. Um, and then when we got it to Melbourne, we've basically stripped the interior out looking for bits of rust, which uh, has not actually been as bad as we hope as we'd think. Uh, most of these cars are prone to rust on the floors. Um, that's, in my opinion, a big design flaw of the car for the way it's been manufactured. But um, when we lifted up the carpets, I oh, got the dash out, took out the seats, everything, and looked at the floors, and it's actually quite nice. So uh, we're basically just trying to get rid of some of the rust that's on the inter- a little bit on the interior. And uh, once we've put that together, we're going to start working on some of the mechanicals. So not too bad, nothing too crazy. So you picked it up from Tasmania and you put it on a ferry and you drove it all the way back. What was the condition? So obviously it was drivable. Did you guys like have oil leaking everywhere or was it, was it pretty, pretty good? I don't know. Ask Jono. Never even seen it before. I'd seen it once. I flew. I flew from Melbourne to Tasmania to look at this car, and I did a thorough, I did a pretty good eyeball inspection from what I could see of the yeah. particular problems of those Datsuns. But maybe we should ask Jono because he was the guy who drove it and had never seen it before in his life. <laughs> He was even stupid well, enough to throw four and a half grand into it. That's pretty brave. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, I trusted Paul's judgment at the time, you know. Very, <laughs> at the time. Very, time. Oh, I still do. Don't, I still don't do. trust him anymore. <laughs> but I guess the most obvious thing when we started driving was was the gearbox. Like the mounts had, had gone. And it was just like, you were just, you know, you it was like pick and, like and, pick and choose kind of thing. Like which <laughs> which gear you wanted to go into because there's... Yeah, we're coming, up, no we're coming up into a corner and we go, oh, go downshift in the second. Oh, no, that's that's third. That's, yep. <laughs> that's wow. It was really um, odd. Yeah, yeah that, that was probably the worst part. Um, also, the, the fumes. <laughs> we, we, we probably lost a few brain cells like just driving it. Yeah. <laughs> was there like a major exhaust leak or something? Now, we had um, the, the rubber seal that goes on the 
deck of the car had actually been stripped away because the guys had just ripped off the plas- uh, ripped off the rubber and then just sprayed underneath it and they haven't put the, the seal back on properly. So there was no actual air seal between the, top, the bottom of the hatch and then the top of the body. Because of the way the aerodynamics work, it's actually sucking air mm. back. It's sucking air back into the into the cabin. So me and John basically had to drive the car with our with our windows both down, um, <laughs> sucking air fumes, which got pretty gnarly at times, didn't it? Yeah, colors and all sorts of shit. <laughs> we we had a le- we had a leaking hose, right? Didn't we? Like, a, was it? A, I forgot oh, what it was. Yeah. It was- we had a leaky, we had a leaky thermostat, uh, a hose potentially, like a water hose mm. that busted out on us on the way to the port. Thankfully, the the guys were open, uh, so the mechanics were open who had worked on the car prior to us arriving in Tasmania. So we just drove it there, hoping that we'd still have enough coolant by the time we got to the garage. <laughs> and um, yeah, we opened the bonnet up, and uh, yeah, sure enough, there's just this big pool of coolant at the bottom, and. <laughs> There's yes. a little radiator. There's a little 10, 12, 10 mil rubber hose that went into the, I think it was piped into the heater core, actually. It's a 50-year-old piece of hose, so yeah. it had been, it's pretty crusty, so it was ready to let go. So thankfully, it blew up there and not on the boat, because if it blew up on the boat, it would have been a whole bunch more pain, I would say. I think we got pretty lucky in that part, Jono. Yeah, and it was missing uh, the the wheel nuts. <laughs> we had to go to rip coding to, to the wheel nuts <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't perfect, Peter. To answer your question, it wasn't perfect, but man, it was enough to get us home. So yeah, we pretty much limped at home. <laughs> so my my question going forward is that why that car? Why the Datsun two hundred and sixty and not anything else from that era? So. Pretty much the same thing as I said in the previous podcast. It was a car that uh, that I drove in Japan, and I just fell in love with it because it, it looked the part, it sounded the part, um, it didn't handle, and it wasn't fast. But it was one of those cars where you just smile as you're driving it because it's just such a a different exper- driving experience. I, I feel like that's the same for all for all classic cars. I don't know the one. Did you do you feel like it's a completely different? driving experience when you own a classic car? I don't know. Um, I think my car is probably not the normal classic car that people would buy. Yeah, t- tell us more about your classic car since we're on that topic. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've, I've owned many, many cars before, uh, but I've never really owned a classic car. And then one time I had a look on Trade Me, as you, as you do, um, and I, I saw this uh, really old Rolls Royce, and it was in white. And I had an idea for um, someone else to drive a wedding car as a business. Uh, and I right. thought, you know... That's how it all begins. Pretty much, yeah. You always think, you know, hey, I'm going to make lots of money from this, but no, it never happens. And and so I had a look at the car and I, on Trade Me, and I was like, oh, actually, that's a really cool car, and it's not too expensive. And I thought, if no one else is going to buy it and do the wedding car business, then I might as well do it, give it a go, you know, show everyone how it's done. It was it was a really interesting experience because I picked it up from Bungaree. So it wasn't in Auckland and I was really stupid. So I did all the things that you shouldn't do when you buy a classic car. You should inspect the car, like Paul and, and Jono were saying. You know, you should, you should not make your mind up before you get someone to look at it who knows something about that particular car. You should do your research. You know, what are the common problems? What to look out for? And I, I did none of that, so I went up um, with my dad to. Yep, yeah, this is this is this is for real. Yep. Wow. <laughs> um, 
and this wasn't even that long ago this was like five or six years ago so it wasn't like i was that not well you know that naive back then um but i just i just felt like it was a good car and i went up with my dad we drove his mercedes up there and um, i was all ready to buy it i had all the cash ready for me um to give to the to the owner um so i pretty much already you know sold myself the car before we even got there so it was a very sort of emotional um very sort of spur of the moment decision and the owner assured me that the car was in perfect condition there was no mechanical issues that he knew of uh and he's driven it to auckland a couple of times in the last year or so so it sounded like it was going to make it to auckland no problem and and like i said it's not a very common car because it was a 1974 rolls royce silver shadow which is not something that kind of pops up in your mind when you first think of you know a, a first classic car experience because a it's like a european car b it's a british car <laughs> which is which is another subset of a european car um and then it's a rolls royce as well which you know people kind of stay away from because they're a bit worried about um to ma- how to maintain it you know how to drive it all that sort of stuff but in terms of the driving experience when i test drove it when i got there it was really good um it had power steering it had um you know electric windows it had electric seats it had really good aircon So that's what I was saying before, you know, it's not really a normal classic car experience because um, it felt like a modern car. It was just a lot bigger and, you know, the the trim was all wood um and it was all like handcrafted um buttons and knobs. So, you know, it was a little bit different in that respect, but it actually felt like a very very modern car. Um so right. it actually yeah. drove really well. Ours didn't do anything like that. Ours we didn't even have door locks on our car. Hey, <laughs> we parked the car. <laughs> we parked we, we had to park up for uh, for dinner and we had to park it about three or four car parks away from the front door of the restaurant that we were eating at <laughs> and i remember me and Doro literally sitting at the very front up to the glass and looking over to our left hand side all the yeah. time eating to make sure no one's going to just take the z because yeah it was it was not really wasn't ready for the road but it didn't, didn't have mirrors either so oh, <laughs> mirrors either <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh man that was um, but it's, yeah but it's it's ironic because you say that about your Z and it wasn't ready for the road and yet my Rolls-Royce was warranted it was regoed it drove really well however my car broke down about three times on the way back to Auckland <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't didn't even make it back to Auckland um oh, so what that's Oh, it it was it was it was so good. You know, everything was brilliant, everything was fantastic. I was driving along back from Whangarei and I was just thinking to myself, you know, how this is just an awesome experience, you know, like why would we bother buying a new car when old cars can do this? You know, when a when a 40-year-old car can ride along in such luxury and comfort and it was pretty powerful as well because it had a um 6 and 3/4 uh, liter V8 um which is which is a you know obviously a Rolls-Royce engine so it it's kind of derived from you know like the Spitfire engine and all that sort of stuff it was really powerful really um torquey and the transmission was great as well because um the story is Rolls-Royce actually took a a Chevy transmission apparently and they tweaked tweaked it and they played around with it and it was a, a three-speed automatic and it was really nice it was very smooth um you couldn't really feel the shifts at all so i was just sitting there with the aircon blasting going you know this is fantastic but then the fuel pump died. Oh. Uh, <laughs> this is why you know much about fuel pumps. Yeah, exactly. That's that's why I know that my Rolls-Royce has a uh, two mini fuel pump. Yeah, two mini fuel pumps fused together uh, um to make to make a Rolls-Royce fuel pump because I had to replace the fuel pump. And it, luckily it died um where there was a bit of a hard shoulder so I could pull over 
Um, we had no idea what was wrong. Um, I suspected that it was a fuel pump, but there was really no way to check on the side of the road. I didn't even know where the fuel pump was for the car, so I couldn't even do the trick of hitting it and seeing if it worked. So what did we do? We called the AA. Uh, had to get it towed to uh, Workworth, um, which is just north of Auckland. So by this time, it had probably done about 100, 120 Ks, which was pretty good. Um, and then we just left it there because there was really not much we could do. We left it at a uh, mechanic um, who apparently specialized in classic cars, but as we found out, not necessarily. We came back two days later because uh, they checked the car and they said that nothing was wrong. You know, they started the car, everything was fine, and they drove it around the block. Um, so then we really suspected it was probably fuel pump. And, and, you know, that charged me a little bit of money for the inspection. Uh, but as it turns out, they were actually specialists for American classic cars, like, you know, right. Mustangs and all, all those cars. So they didn't really know too much about the Rolls-Royce. Now, my biggest mistake was actually uh, not consulting the Rolls-Royce guru, um, whose name is Colin. If you're listening, Colin, then, you know, thank you very much for looking after my Rolls-Royce so well um, for all those years. Uh, I should have talked to him first because he knew about the car, you know, like these, these people, they know exactly which car you're buying. They know exactly which car is which because um, there's yeah. not many of them in New Zealand. I think there's, you know, one or two Rolls Royces that are sold brand new in New Zealand every year. You know, that's it. Um, so everyone knows, you know, which one's which. And and he knew that this one hadn't um, had a lot of work done or a lot of servicing done um, in the last five or six years uh, for the previous owner because uh, it just stayed up in Bangarei for, for so long. Um, but I didn't do that. So then we took the car, we tried to drive it back to Auckland again on Tuesday afternoon and, and it broke down again. Um, this time it was, it was a bit different. Um, it was a bit exciting because I've never really had a car catch fire. Um, <laughs> but the Rolls Royce, uh, started, um, billowing a bit of smoke under the bonnet and it was smoke. It wasn't, you know, uh, steam. It was, it was proper smoke. I had to pull over, it was just uh, north of Orewa, I believe. Um, so it almost made it to Auckland, you know, <laughs> close. And it turns out the aircon compressor clutch had exploded. Luckily, it didn't actually take the whole car out. We didn't actually have a fire extinguisher with us. But the insulation under the bonnet had started um, catching fire. Um, so I used a bottle of water, I put it out. Uh, but unfortunately, it caused a bit of bubbling on the bonnet. So that stayed until I actually sold the car. Uh, it didn't, you know, cause the paint to peel off completely, um, but you can definitely notice that there was a bit of bubbling. And so, yeah, that, that was a bit of a fail. We just um, kind of limped it um, a little bit further and we managed to get it to Akaranga um, station, you know, the bus station in, yep. in the shore. Yep. Um, so it was, it was just north of that bus station and then it broke down again. <laughs> So this is the third time that it's broken down on the trip back from Bangarang, which is which is not far away. It's only like 250 kilometers, 200, 250 kilometers. Um, so I wasn't expecting it to be like that. And the fuel pump had died properly this time. So there's no way to get it going. A uh, highway cop actually was really nice. And he came up behind us and he get, tried to give us a push to um, come off of the motorway. Because at this point, it was about 4, 4.30 and everyone was starting to you know get on the motorways to go home. Sure. So we were, we were causing quite a big... Uh, you know, quite a big commotion on the motorway. Um, apparently, quite a few people saw my car, and you know, <laughs> a lot of friends actually commented on it. Um, so that that's nice. Uh, probably the wrong sort of fame, but you know, never mind. Um, and then when the cop was pushing me off the motorway, because it was quite a new car, I didn't realize what to do. Um, what happens is the Rolls Royce has an electronic transmission um, when you shift, 
So when you shift um, on the column shifter, it doesn't actually change gear unless you have the car um, turned on. So I was trying to shift gear when the car was off and the cop was going, you know, hey, the car's not going anywhere. You know, how come it's not moving? <laughs> and I'm just like, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> so we spent probably about 10 minutes just trying to figure out how to get the car going. And then finally he pushed us into Akaranga station. Um, so everyone getting on and off the bus had a nice view of Rolls Royce getting stuck in the bus station as well. Eventually we ended up having to get it towed to um, an auto electrician who happened just to be open, you know, at 6 p.m. on a Tuesday, luckily. Um, and, and they managed to give me a new fuel pump. So that was nice. Um, well, I had to buy the fuel pump and they put it in. Uh, and then also I had the aircon compressor rebuilt at the same time. So um, I got the car back and then I managed to get it home finally <laughs> after about, I think it was about three or four weeks um, before I actually managed to get it back home. Oh, yeah, I feel like we have no reason to complain now about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys, you guys had a really easy run. I wouldn't mind a holiday in Tasmania for a couple of weeks, though. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd have to stay with your car because then you'd, you'd be sure that no one was stealing it, right? <laughs> Pretty much. We'd sleep in it. <laughs> the, the one amazing part of your story, Luan, is that the auto electrician had a spare fuel pump ready to go to fit in your roles, 1970s roles. Well, yeah, that, well, that's a really interesting um, topic that we should get onto as well, the, the parts for old cars. Um, so you're right, you know, they didn't have it ready to go immediately, but they, they ordered one in and it was here within like a week. So it was actually pretty, you know, it was pretty decent. I was surprised. Um, and as it turns out, Rolls-Royce cars, you can actually get parts quite easily, um, especially for the Silver Shadow, because they made, I think, around 20,000 Silver Shadows. Um, so there's quite a few parts cars and there's quite a few secondhand parts available, but also new parts as well. So that was a bit of a surprise. Mm -hmm. um, I actually got a I actually got a windscreen fitted on my car as well, and somehow they make an aftermarket windscreen for the Silver Shadow. So that was an interesting little fact as well. Is it quite a lot more expensive than your Japanese or American fuel pump or windscreen? Um, honestly, it's not actually that expensive. I was I was surprised mm -hmm. about that as well. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the fuel pump cost me $900 brand new, which is yeah. actually not too bad. Um, obviously, it's a bit more expensive than your run-of-the-mill you know, Corolla or whatever fuel pump. Sure. Um, but considering it's two mini fuel pumps, so you're paying for two fuel pumps, basically, yeah. uh, it wasn't actually too bad. Um, was, that, and, was that fitted price or just yes. the part? Yes, that was because nice. it, it only took them five minutes to fit it because it's, it's really easy to just you know, unscrew it. There's basically two bolts to undo it and then two hoses and you're, you're done. So they don't actually bring the fuel tank down. It's just underneath no, the, the, no, it's, the back seat, is it? It's it's an external fuel pump that runs under the body. So a lot right. of old cars have the same setup. Same with my E55 AMG. They they just oh. run the fuel pump externally because cool. um, you don't need that much pressure over an old car and all that sort of stuff. Sure. Um, and, and the windscreen, I think, cost me six or seven hundred dollars um and then another three hundred dollars for this new seal that goes around the windscreen so that was actually quite cheap to be honest that seal sounds a bit expensive oh there was there was labor involved as well for that right um, so that oh, was including okay. the labor what about you guys for the datsun i, I know we went through that in podcast four yeah could you give us a recap on some significant parts you had to replace in your datsun we haven't had to really make buy any significant parts yet. We've got you know, run-the-mill rotors and pads and spark plugs. Uh, rear rotors are pretty expensive. They're about $400, I think, for a pair, potentially. Right. 
Or eat, I can't remember now. Yeah, we have and bushes. Like, we had to replace all the bushes, so we've upgraded those to the nolithane types, the polyurethane types. Um, they were probably around about two hundred as well for an entire set to do the car. Um, so parts wise, it's been pretty pretty cheap so far. We haven't really had any huge complaints. Bodywork is the most expensive part of the build. Like there's a lot mm. of all the all the bolt on parts are pretty easy to get still. Um, but the hardest parts are the, the those kind of body parts. They do make them. Like people do make pre-made uh, body parts, but they can be anywhere from four hundred to eight hundred to a thousand dollars a pop. So mm. to what you're trying to buy. So we haven't really had any huge huge concerns when it comes to parts. It's just pricing. Uh, oh, sorry, availability is the hardest part. If there was a major part in your two hundred and sixty. Could you reach out to local suppliers or do you have to go to America or Japan to source some significant parts? America is probably the place to get it. So there's a few places like Arizona Z-Car, which specialize in Z parts. Okay. So there's a there's quite a few, there's quite a bit of a cult following in, in Australia as well for the Z-Car. So you can still get quite a lot of parts locally. Uh some parts are just insanely hard to get. So, for example, the the dashes, the center console on the Zs, they just tend to fall apart. They they're they just crumble um, from the from the weather. So, uh, right. you'd be very hard pressed to find a factory center console for a two six uh, two forty two sixty two eighty Z that's not in five pieces. <laughs> the center console pieces sometimes out of metal, sometimes out of carbon fiber, fiberglass. I'd say that's probably one of the Pro or con, depending which way you look at it. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah, you do have to know a few things and, and probably be able to work on your car a little bit. Um, with my Rolls Royce, I just I, I could work on it a little bit, but I just felt like it was such a you know expensive and fancy car that I couldn't really do much on it. Um, oh. Which is part of the reason why I sold it because I was hoping to actually work on it myself. Um, but eventually I just felt like I, I couldn't, and because I was using it for wedding, if the car was down for two or three months then that's, you know, lost business and lost clients. Based on your experience for both your roles and Datsun, for someone who wants to buy a classic car, some key advice? Um, yeah, I can I can go first for that one. Um, I, w- I got really lucky because I didn't have any rust on my Rolls Royce. Um, right. So I'm, I'm sure Paul and John can attest to that, that rust is really, really annoying um, and sometimes could be really expensive or it could even uh, completely kill your car. Definitely make sure that there's not a huge amount of rust. I mean, there's going to be some rust for pretty much every old car, but just make sure that it's surface rust, that if it's structural, then you know how to fix it, that you factored it into your price or the factored that into your project, because it is really, really difficult to repair old cars when they, when they start getting rusty. Um, I know that a lot of the Alpha Club members, they have old like 105s or, or old GTVs, um, and you can buy like aftermarket sills for your car because the sills usually rust. So you can you can do it, but you need to learn how to weld. You need to learn how to angle grind and you know cut up bits and pieces out of your car. So you do have to be quite hands on unless you give it to someone and then they charge you an absolute fortune because <laughs> because it takes a lot of time. You know all of this is just it's just time, um, and a lot of it's not hard. You know like fixing rust is actually not complicated, but it just takes a lot of time. Um, sure. So, you know, I factored in around about $5,000 of maintenance every year for my Rolls Royce because I couldn't do any of the work myself. So a lot of that was labor, you know, that was probably about two, two and a half thousand dollars of labor um, in that $5,000. So that's the sort of ballpark that you'd be looking at. 
I think the biggest problem with some of those old British cars is a rust, like I said, and yep. B is the parts availability. If you can find someone that has all the parts and you know can sell you lots of parts, then I I, I don't think I would say no to a classic British car. Um, but you just got to do your research. Every single sure. car is a bit different. Classic cars, based on your ownership, um, I obviously personally don't have experience on classic cars, but I would, if I had the opportunity, it would be all American. I think 1972 or 1973 Dodge Charger, Dodge Challenger, you can never go wrong. They look amazing and they look mean. I've given you guys a challenge. So if you remember from episode one, we went through some cheapy, cheapy ideal first cars. To keep up with that theme, I have sent you some classic cars, some variations of classic cars. So if you open them up, so would you buy it and why? Okay, so the first one's a 1975 Corolla. Correct. So it's a green 1975 Toyota Corolla KE30. Just before... I'll give you guys a few seconds to have a look at it, but for our audience, it's a pristine looking, obviously we haven't seen these in real life, but it's a pristine looking Toyota Corolla uh, K30 two-door coupe in green. I think the green looks fabulous. Just from images, there's very little rust. I feel like it's been it's been maintained so nicely, and for 26000 I think it's hot. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Corollas to be honest, and I'm not sure what's going on with the wheels. Are those hubcaps or what's happening I there? I think, I think they're steelies and they've got plastic covers on them. Okay, maybe with some rims it would look a bit better because those look pretty pathetic. <laughs> I think it goes with the it goes well with the theme. Would I buy it? Twenty six thousand dollars. That's a lot of money for a Corolla. That's a lot. Of, yeah, and it's at the end of the day, it's a it's a Corolla. So. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, you, I mean, my Rolls Royce cost me $20,000. But know. this probably would make it from Whangarei down to Auckland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but you would be sitting in a Rolls Royce in style, even if you were sitting on the side of the road. <laughs> I would just drag my lounge suite up to the side of the road. And sort of... <laughs> That's literally what it was. It was like floating on a cloud. So, hot or not? No. no. Yes. Uh, at that price, probably not. <laughs> not. <laughs> All right. It's a tie. All right, it's a tie. All right, let's move on. Next one is... Uh, Porsche 911. I think they're the most overrated car in the classic car scene. No matter how good they are, everyone thinks 911, no matter what year, is going to be worth its gold. Some very good condition, low mileage, one of the early 911s, sure, they'll go six figures, maybe more. Mm. I think this is the, this is an overrated car, and I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for that comment. To the audience, we're looking at a 1979 Porsche 911 target top, and they want 80,000 NZD for this example, and it's done 113,000 Ks. The quality of it looks pretty good. Not a lot of rust that I can see. And they obviously well maintained it. Yeah, I, I think that the price is, I think it's a fair price um, in, in the current market. Obviously, it's a bit of a bubble, but, um, you know, these things just seem to keep going up in price. So, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so, it looks like it's in good condition. I don't know. Something about 911s just doesn't inspire me to drive them. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I mean, that's maybe because since the inception of the 911 up until now, I think there's a new 911 that just came out. Uh, earlier this week they just look all the same i don't <laughs> know why but that's the thing they just they just make the same car over and over again and they just make you buy the same car <laughs> it 
it's well, and it worked because you know, look at the price. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's got heritage, you know, because it looks the same. Isn't it just a really expensive beetle, like we said the last? Oh, come on, come on! That's a bit, that's a bit of a low blow. Honestly, I, I actually kind of like nine elevens, but I don't know if I'd even own one because I just feel like there's so much money for you know, basically a. I don't know. It's, it doesn't seem beetle. Just say it. You know, I mean, it's, one... it's better than a beetle. Look, if you're if you're a really big fan of sports cars from the '80s, you know, you could probably look into this if you had that much money to spend. But I think it's a first classic car experience. Again, you may not actually have a good experience if you buy something so expensive. So it's probably going to be a no for me. Yeah, I think I think people what they don't realize is um, it, it looks all great on paper and and you know what they see on TV and everything, but to actually drive something like this, you know, like and, yeah, and <laughs> it's not quite. You know, and and, and I, I think people yeah, and I think people don't realize that it's it's a sports car from almost fifty years ago. Well, this is more than oh sorry, forty years ago. You know, so so it's not like a sports car of today. It's not like a more modern sports car. You can't really attack the corners you know <laughs> like it's, you've got to be really ginger and really be careful with these cars especially with the 911 because it's got the rear engine let's go on 1972 volkswagen beetle nope no <laughs> just, just skip this please just no just, just, just i don't hey, even hey, talk it, about it just... it's ten thousand dollars it's probably in the budget for a lot a lot of people who want to get their first classic car it's, yeah. it's, it's bumblebee man it's bumblebee that's where i always think about the, the beetle it's bumblebee the original Bumblebee was powered by what? Is this a two-cylinder, three, four-cylinder? It's a four-cylinder air-cooled, isn't it? I, I do think it's a it, it's a good uh, entry path into classic car ownership. You know, it's a bit more basic, and, and there is a big community out there for these things, and you know all that. So there's lots of knowledge and all that for these kind of cars. Probably a lot of spare parts, you know. Yeah. So. That's and because yeah, because they did manufacture these until you know I don't know they, they the the running life of this car was was long the production life of this car was was a long time man- manufacturing in Mexico until like yeah. 2010 exactly <laughs> so like I think you'd be you know finding parts and things wouldn't be as bad compared to you know other classic cars of this you know era. Oh. Oh, this one in the mini, the original mini. Yeah, I mean it's it's ten thousand dollars, so it is cheap. You have a mini. I mean, you have a Beetle. Absolutely. Hmm. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, uh, Jono and Paul, for uh, going through the story with your dadson. That's all good. Uh, and thank you, Luan, uh, for telling us your story on your Rolls Royce. I think that's a very unique experience in New Zealand, especially for a young guy. Yeah, it was uh, mm. definitely a bit of an experience, that's for sure. Okay, and to our audiences, thank you so much for joining us for episode 5. Uh, we appreciate your support, and we hope that you continue to join us for future podcasts.